Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Pray with me if you would. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you, and if we don't do this with our hearts, then we don't do it at all. If we don't walk with you, if we don't praise you, worship you, serve you, serve one another in your name from our hearts, then according to your word, we haven't really done anything. Lord, it all begins with our hearts, and our troubles begin there as well. And in the room now and in living rooms and such for people watching right now, for many of us, our problem is a problem of the heart. Yeah, we have other problems, and lots of times we focus on these outward problems, but these outward problems have an inner source, or our frustration with them, that has an inner source, and that's our heart. So do a work. Do a work in our hearts now, through your word, by your spirit. Bring glory to yourself through it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Psalm 86, verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In the ESV and in the King James, it's unite my heart that I might fear your name. But I like that old 1984 NIV translation, give me an undivided heart because it points out the problem. The problem is the division in our hearts. The problem is that we have divided hearts. Now, if you remember, or if you haven't heard, I'm telling you for the first time that we changed our schedule for the summer. I, I mentioned it being in the service too. And so we're focusing on the heart. And one of the inspirations for this is Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God does its work. It's sword work, if you will. It's surgical work in our hearts. And it does involve judgment. With Christ, it's always judgment because judgment is always followed by mercy, by grace. That's what you see when you see the cross. You see that there, there's our judgment. We're judged by the cross. The cross was necessary. Without the cross, there's no access to God or his blessings or life itself, according to the scriptures. But with the cross, then there's judgment. But who took the judgment for us? Jesus. That's our faith. And so there's the judgment. We, we're not free of judgment. We don't say, oh, that's old-fashioned or that's, that doesn't belong. No, it belongs. Uh, Jesus went to great lengths to make sure that this judgment was dealt with. He personally paid the price for it with his physical body on the cross. And he, and he set us free. And he did a work in our hearts, and our hearts are divided. So why? Why are our hearts divided? Why is this our prayer 
Here's our title, Heart is the Difference, the Difference Between Us and God, the Difference in Life. And, and why is this our prayer then? Teach me a way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That's every believer's prayer. Is every one of us as believers struggle with our hearts and struggle with our hearts being divided. We stand in two different places on our worst moments for too much of the time. We have divided hearts. Our hearts are divided because the intentions of our hearts are divided. It's about our intentions. We want to serve God. We intend to serve God, but we want to serve the other guy too, even if we don't admit it. We want to serve our sin. We want to serve ourselves. We want to serve some other thing, whatever other thing matters more to us than God, at least sometimes. And so we have divided hearts and have had divided hearts since Genesis chapter 3. We were deceived, and then our hearts were divided. So we have this saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We break that thing out whenever we do something poorly that turns out poorly and we wish it hadn't. It wasn't my intention to hurt you. It wasn't my intention to lose the account or lose the game or lose the house keys. And then we get the response, ah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So the purpose of this, it's historical. This thing's been around, but it's sketchy. It's not from the Bible, and it's designed to help you feel worse. Yeah? You had good intentions? Well, so what? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of things like that in our lives and in our world. Things that just make us feel worse. You know, you're, you're going down, and somehow we help ourselves or help each other. You know, you're on your way down. Let's help you all the way down. <laughs> There's just so much of that. Can't explain why, but it's, it's all written out for us. The, the truth of it in the Bible, this is what we do. Without God's help especially, it's what we do. But it turns out that, first of all, there's not just a, a, a road to hell in the Bible. It's a wide road. It's a broad road. It's a highway. It's a modern thoroughfare, not just a, a road. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 in that old NIV version says this, even through, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, so getting on the right road to eternity, not the one to hell, per the Bible, it turns out is all about Jesus Christ, who, by the way, called himself the road in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And the word for way in the original language could be easily translated as road. So in our English Bibles, we could have John 14, 6b, Jesus says, I am the road and the truth and the life. He's the road to God and eternity in heaven. So the Bible does not say what we say when we link our bad or good intentions with hellish results, when we link them with where we end up. In fact, in, in Jeremiah 10, 23, it says this, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks 
to direct his steps. Just take a look at that. So if you're clinging on to the idea that you have some sort of control in your life, verses like this help you let go. All our results, all our outcomes, all our destinations in life are eventually correctly perceived by us who believe as being entirely and always in God's hands and not ours. Amen? Amen? It's in God's hands. If you want your heart to be better, I want my heart to be better. I'm trying to get something out of this sermon series. All right? And if I want to have a heart that's not lost, that's not divided, it starts with having the view of God as the Bible presents God. And the Bible never says God's looking to us for advice. You never hear God saying, I can't figure out what to do. Just keep praying. Give me some ideas. Give me some ideas. You're down there. You're so wise. You follow me so well. Is he doing that ever? No. Does it help ever to picture things that way? As if somehow we're co-God with God or somehow we're, we're working our way up a ladder. All that stuff is devastating to the human heart. It, it empties us out. It hollows us out. It, it makes us inhuman, especially spiritually. Spiritually inhuman. And I've looked at all these different religions and they all lead down the same path. And the only one that I can see so far from what I've seen that has anything to do with the heart is the one where Jesus is in the middle. He's about our hearts. He wants our hearts. We're about all this other stuff all the time. He wants our hearts. If he has your heart, if your heart is undivided, then whatever you face, you'll be able to face. You'll be able to face it with dignity and strength, whether it's a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, because both can be distracting from the truth. Both can confuse us and get our eyes off of God and off of the condition of our hearts. And we, we can just be scattered all over the place. You see, rather than where we end up being, our intentions are about who we end up being and, and what we end up being. You know, the Bible links our intentions to hearts, not roads. So you don't just live a, a good life on the exterior level of your results, your, your roads, which are in God's hands anyway. Your intentions matter. They matter to God. They're the only things that you can really give to God or others or yourself. It always matters to God whether or not your intentions are good or, or bad. It has from the beginning always mattered. The fall in Genesis 3 was not initiated by the actual forbidden fruit. If God had not just, you know, if he had just not put that tree there, right? No. No, it's not the tree's fault. Is that the fruit's fault? Not even the serpent's fault. Not in the way we assign fault or blame as being something that has something to do with someone else, not us. No. The fall in Genesis 3 was not initiated by the actual forbidden fruit. It didn't come from outside Adam and Eve. It came from inside of them. Just like with us. The fall could only be initiated in God's sovereignty by the intentions of the heart 
of those who sinned by, by taking and eating that fruit. This is why the author of Hebrews exhorts us as he does in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's about your heart. There's an infinite number of ways to sin, all kinds of variety of fruit to take and eat. But there's one place where it all begins, where the trouble starts, where the sin begins. And that's the same place in each one of us, the heart, the heart. That's what the Bible shows us. You run a search in the ESV Study Bible website for the word heart, and you're going to get 850 results. It's all over the Bible. The Bible is a heart book. It's about our hearts. There's two verses that start the whole thing out, though. They have to be our central verses for today as we dig into this study of the heart. The first two times the word heart shows up in the Bible in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So when you look at these verses, you realize, first of all, uh, sin or, or turning away from God, it's something that happens in our hearts first. It's not something that is assuaged through behavioral modification of one kind or another, and that's another way of defining religion. It just doesn't work. And you can find the finest religions everywhere. We keep coming up with new ones, and people are experts at them. They're great at them. And you can find the story told over and over and over again that this person so high up, so glorious in his or her religion, turned out to have a heart problem, a problem with the heart. And then that led to this, and then this led to the other thing, and, and we'll, we'll throw the word hypocrisy on it because we're experts in hypocrisy, because that's what hypocrites are, experts in hypocrisy. Yet it's not, it's humanity. Humanity has a heart problem, a heart problem. And that's what we're seeing here. There it is. Whatever commandment we break, whatever sin we commit, a sin of commission or omission, whatever fruit we take and eat, it follows the intentions of our hearts. And this is, in fact, where we lose heart, so to speak. The Bible says don't lose heart, and by saying so, it means for us not to lose our good intentions, our heart for God intentions. Galatians 6, 9 is famous for saying, you know, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we reap a harvest if we do not give up. And that's a verse for me because I've wanted to give up, I've wanted to quit, and it's brought me to a place where I realize at the low moments, we have two options. You've heard me say this before. Here are the two options at your lowest moment. Feel like quitting or quit. Feel like giving up or give up. If you feel like quitting, feel like giving up, that's perseverance. 
You're here right now and you feel like giving up? Good work. You know why? Because you didn't give up yet. Because if you gave up, you wouldn't feel like giving up, right? Yeah. If you quit, you wouldn't feel like quitting. Now, if you quit, if you give up, your work changes. Now you work on the story on why you quit. You polish that thing up. You get that thing going so that you can, you can just show that to anyone to justify. Because that's what we got to do. Especially if we know we ought not to have quit something. We ought not to have given up. But we did. And we feel so much better. And we'll feel even better once we get the story worked out. So that everyone who hears it, the tear forms in their eye. And they say, oh, you did such a wonderful thing quitting. Oh, you're the best giver-upper ever. That's somehow what we want. Don't lose heart. Don't lose your, your, your good intention for God. The only way we can do good is by intending good, in fact. In fact, Christian faith lived out is only an intention. That's your Christian faith. It's only an intention because the results are from God. There's no single one of us anywhere who has the ability to produce a single Christian result in our lives. Not ever on our own. Not ever. We never will. We are completely dependent on and supplied by God for every breath and every step and every heartbeat and certainly for every good work. The gift of faith Yes, that's a gift. The gift of faith is the gift of new intentions. You come to faith in Christ and you have new intentions. The gift of faith from God is a gift of a new heart. Famous verses again from Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I, God saying through the prophet Ezekiel, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is doing it. God is the one who will do it. God's work is what you seek. You don't need to do something. You need to see what he's done. You don't need seven steps to success. You need to review his steps to the cross. You need to review what happened there as reported in the Gospels and take it personally and realize that he's done this work, all of this work for you. And there comes the heart change, real heart change. Now, it's not lost. It's not divided, your heart. Now you have a heart for God, a new heart given to you as a gift from God. I'll just say yes to it. Feel it now. I need to. We constantly come up with things we need to do. There's even a way of preaching where at the end of every sermon, you have to supply an application. So you better have some nice illustrations in there, but in the end, there better be an application. You better tell these people what to do about what you just taught them. And that's problematic because you're not going to do it. Amen? You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to come up with the end. Here's what we need to do, people. And I'll say something. It'll sound good. There'll be nods. There'll be amens. And none of us will do it. Ever. And then 
we won't even think about it. But if we think about it, it shows, well, wait a minute, there's a problem. We won't even do what we know is the right thing to do. There's a problem here. What could it be? What is this problem? It must be a problem of the heart. Oh, I want to perform heart surgery on myself, but I can't. Amen? You can't perform heart surgery on yourself. Not any kind of heart surgery. Especially this heart surgery. Especially this heart surgery. And what's amazing as we look at this, as we hear the Scriptures telling us not to lose heart, not to lose our intentions for God, our heart for God intentions, we see the heart of God as well. When we're tempted to lose our hearts, He wants us to consider His heart. And that, that brings us to these verses again. There's, there's our hearts, every intention of the thoughts of the hearts, evil. But then look at verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Well, verses like this, like Genesis 6, 6, invite us to consider God's experience of losing heart. It reminds me of the cross when Jesus quoted Psalm 22 from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lost heart. Regret and grief are attributed to God, and yet we know that his experience of these human emotions would not be as human emotions. They would be as different from ours as he is different from us. And yet, there are verses like this all over the Bible. Verses that describe God's feelings in terms of grieving the Holy Spirit, in terms of Him relenting, Him regretting, all over the Bible. These are verses where the Holy Spirit is using this vision of God's heart for our redemption in order to reach and redeem our hearts. In other words, the Bible talks about God's heart to get to our hearts. And when we see God's heart, the way the Bible means this too, then we don't lose heart. We're touched, we're renewed, we're inspired, we're reminded again of His love and His grace. How profound and, and far-reaching this goes is, is beyond the scope of a, of a church sermon. So, I don't know if you recognize it, but these verses are the verses that come right before the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. This is a massively complex and beautifully true story of election and redemption that illustrates and in some ways defines the gospel itself. So in this story, I know we have the picture when we think of Noah's Ark of the animals. You know, uh, for a while Shannon was collecting like Noah's Art stuff. So we had Noah's Art pillows and Noah's Art posters and Noah's Art coffee cups and Noah's Ark this and that. And it was all Nice, you know, and you had the animals, the two by two animals, and all nice animals, giraffe, everyone likes giraffes, elephants even, you know, uh, other nice animals. You never, you never saw, I never saw on a pillow or on a poster or a plate or a cup like two rats. You know, I never saw that, you know. And so we think the Noah's Ark thing is about, and it is, but the, the key to the whole story is Genesis seven sixteen, where you have the ark and the floods are coming, and then it says that God himself closed the door of the ark. So God saves his chosen people from his wrath. 
That is the gospel. If someone's going to reject the gospel, make sure they know what they're rejecting. And many people do reject the true gospel. This is the true gospel. The cross is about God sending His one and only Son to save us from His wrath. Deserved wrath. Earned wrath. I mean, all right, this is going to blow you away. It blew me away. I don't know if it's going to blow you away, but I'm going to say it's going to blow you away. All right? I've showed you the first two times that the word heart shows up in the Bible. Now I'm going to show you the third. And it's related to this story. And, 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 and check this out. This is one verse, and in this one verse, you see heart talked about, God's heart, man's heart, the difference between the two, and sacrifice is brought in. Sacrifice is pictured in this same verse that talks about God's heart and our hearts and the difference between the two. Sacrifice. Think the cross. Think Jesus Christ. Think the gospel. And it's all in one verse, the very third time, only the third time in the Bible that the word heart shows up. It's at the end. They're out of the ark. It's over. They're, they have a, a sacrifice. They're, they're, they're burning. It, you know, it's like a barbecue in a way. I mean, the pleasing aroma. It's pleasing to God. We don't know that that's why it's pleasing to God, but that's the aroma that we would know. And it says this. Here's the verse. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. And there it is. Genesis 8, 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, that's the sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So sin divides, God unites. Man's heart is evil. God's heart is forgiveness. God's heart is for a second chance. And I want you to take a look at something. Did you notice it in this verse? We didn't get any better. Did you notice that? There's no Noah 2.0. No improvement. Oh, what are we going to do? Because that's all we ever think about is better versions of ourselves. But there's no such thing. Sorry to break it to you. Sorry for all those books you bought and those programs you watch, and those YouTubes that you waste your time watching. Yeah, there's no you 2.0. No. You should be happy. You should be relieved because the pursuit of such is driving you crazy. Isn't that the definition of insanity? We keep trying something that turns out a certain way, but we're seeking a different result. We keep trying to be better on our own as we define better, and we keep failing even our own standards, never mind God's. And here we are. We didn't get any better. We just got saved. Now, that's the good news. That's the medicine your heart needs. You know, a new life does follow a new heart. And new results do follow new intentions. And... It's all from God. Amen? It's all from God. Let it seep in. Soak in it. His goodness is immeasurable. His plan for your redemption 
keeps unfolding moment by moment by moment, and it's amazing. And I know you have plans too, so do I. All right. Really, they don't amount to what we think they ought to amount to. We ought to turn them into prayers, and in the prayer, say something like this. I think it's been said before, your will be done. Amen? Because that's saying the best. His will is the best. He is the best. Oh, it's amazing stuff. And I know that if I don't get this, I'm going down a wrong path. I know that if my heart continues to seep away from me, if I continue to submit to whatever is dividing my heart, then I will be behaving in ways that I don't want to behave. I'll be double-minded, and that will lead to duplicitous character. I know that. It says as much. Look at this. Here it is, all you need to know about your hearts, all you need to know to take your heart seriously. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's where we end up, without God's help, without submitting to the surgery of the Holy Spirit. That's where we end up. And over and over again, though the Bible and the stories in the Bible are going after, are challenging the division within us constantly, over and over again. And this division really is what leads to idolatry. So that's where we become divided. We want God and then another God, a God of our own making, to serve what we think are our needs. And there is idolatry. And over and over again, you see it spoken against. You see it challenged in Scripture by famous verses of Scripture. Here's one from Joshua. And if it is evil, he says at the very end of the book of Joshua, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. An undivided mind, an undivided heart has generated that undivided mind, an undivided profession of faith. Elijah, facing 450 prophets of Baal, and I think 400 prophets of Asherah said something the same to them, challenging them, challenging the, the, the double standing. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Ah, oh, I just am cut by that. I feel like that's a description of my life sometimes, and I do not want it to be. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. The prophet Isaiah diagnosed God's people and the division of their hearts in this way. Another famous verse, and the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And then he went on to, to describe the destruction to come. And over and over again, you see it. It was in Hosea, chapter 10, verse 2. It's in James. It talked about the double-minded man, unstable in all he does. It's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he challenges this division, this duplicity. Over and over again, duplicitous character, double-mindedness comes from a divided heart, and it leads to loss. 
it leads to loss of heart, and we lose our connection with God, and we lose our connection with each other and with ourselves and with life. That's why we pray this prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I remember when I first got a hold of this, the first scriptures I ever could make sense of were from the Psalms. And this is me in college because I didn't grow up in the church. And so the Psalms, I, I was able to walk through the door of understanding any part of the Bible through the book of the Psalms. And this was one of those early Psalms. And this was in the early days of my faith. Maybe I didn't even have faith yet. I was just kind of a jumbled mess, but I wanted Jesus I wanted Jesus, but I wanted all this other stuff too. And I was reading books from all kinds of different religions, just taking my little tasty spoon, you know, and just scooping it in to all these different religions. One religion said I could be God, and I thought that's a pretty good idea. I've always thought that I should be God. I would be better at being God than anyone else I know. I should do that. I like this. Let me keep these books. Let me read these books. And another set of books said that nothing I saw was real. It was all just illusion, and I remember the semester that I read those books, my grades were poor because I didn't think it mattered. And I didn't, I, I remember running out of money and I said, no, 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 I won't believe that. I don't believe that the bank account is empty. I will go to the, the money machine, the cash machine where I put in my card and just enter a few numbers and money comes out and money will come out. And you know what? No money came out and my card didn't come out either. It kept my card. <laughs> Yeah, because that doesn't work. None of it worked. And into my mess came a prayer. I didn't even know I wanted to pray. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And then the, the devastating line, give me an undivided heart. And I realized I, I wanted God but I wanted other than God too. I wanted my sin. I wanted whatever. And I didn't even know what I wanted. I, I, Lord, the, the, the source in me for, for creating desire and creating what I want, it's, it's, it's twisted. It's broken. Give me an undivided heart. Well, that's a prayer we need to pray before we pray about anything else. Give me an undivided heart. And, and the last line works for me too powerfully, that I may fear your name. Sometimes it's best to describe Christian faith as the fear of God. I used to be a little hesitant about that, but now that I've gotten older, I need it. I, I, I need to get past the marshmallow-y-ness of faith sometimes. God just loves you and just, you know, he wants to do wonderful things for you. And that's all true. But I am not reached sometimes at the heart level by all this, by all the benefits, by all the blessings. Because we want the benefits and the blessings, but we know that the pursuit of the benefits and the blessings is superficial. Every one of us knows that. And when you know that you're engaged in something superficial and your faith is superficial, then you wonder, where can I get depth? Where can I get reality? You know what? Sometimes... I don't need to pray the right prayer. I don't need to believe the positive things there are out there or there are in the Bible to believe. I need to do that at one point, but at first, I just need to fear God. Amen? 
Fear the Lord. Have an undivided heart about that. And then I can look with a clear eye at the, at the challenges before me. I can look with a clear eye through the grid of Scripture at what the solutions to those challenges, to those problems might be. Now, what about you? What is causing division in your heart? What in your circumstances seems to overshadow the gospel or the truths of God? Often it's something circumstantial. It's, it's something to do with health, relationship, something to do with uh, life on a deep level. Life wasn't supposed to turn out this way, and yet it did. I was supposed to matter more than I mattered, and now I don't feel like I matter at all, that kind of thing. If I have an undivided heart, then I believe what the Bible says about what matters. And then when I look at all these other things that enter into my thinking, that darken my thinking, I now have a label for these other things. And that label is lie. These are lies. These are lies. I remember being with uh, people over these years who had something just go a little bit wrong in life. And, and a lot of these people are like, we can all be, you know, they just, God was about the, everything lining up. You know, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm good looking. At least I think I am in my own eyes and no one's telling me otherwise. I am doing things that are important and it's all good. And that's what God gives me, a life that is just good and I don't have to, I, I can just enjoy it myself. And then you have that visit to the doctor or you're told at work that we're going in a different direction. And it's a direction that you're not going in. Something like that comes along. And I've seen people get completely crushed, like faith annihilated by this. And then I've seen other people at the same time, and it's, 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 it, it's been like two rails. I've had another pastor describe it this way. You know, one rail is, is this kind of stuff where people get crushed, and another rail is where you, you find people where they, they receive news, where if you hear the news, you yourself are affected. You hear somebody who you, you value, you love, and they say they have uh, fourth stage this or that or the other thing. And now for the rest of the day, you're struggling with that. You're struggling with it. But you notice that the person who told you this news about themselves is not struggling. And I've seen that over and over again. And I know when I see it that I am witnessing somebody who believes the Scriptures, whose heart is undivided, who has a view of God as he is. And will not be shaken by circumstances. Will not be cast down one way or another. Because you can't be cast down. Because if God in his heart wants to redeem you and wants you to, bring, wants you to make it through all this. And wants even to dignify the worst parts of your life. Then how can you? How can you be down on him? It's difficult, but I am not crushed. And over and over again, we see that, don't we? We see that testimony. We hear that testimony from Scripture. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, 
that I may fear your name. Just for a minute, think of your own circumstances. Maybe you've already done this. You're well ahead of me. And I ask that you would sense that the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now in this moment, and that He's speaking to you the way He prefers to speak through His Word, through the written Word of God. And He's, he's given you this prayer, and He's given you the assurance that since He's given you the prayer, He will answer the prayer. If He's given you the prayer, give me an undivided heart, He will give you an undivided heart. It will come from Him, not from you trying harder, not from you doing more. There's no try harder, do more in Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't hear try harder, do more, and that. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you, and we need you. We do a lot of foolish things, a lot more than we admit to one another. Our minds wander way too far away from you, way too often. Reign us in, reign in our thoughts. Limit the things in our lives, the things in our culture that distract us, that pull us in one direction and then the other things that have nothing to do with you. If it has nothing to do with you, help us to have nothing to do with it. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us your way, O Lord. Give us undivided hearts that we might fear you, that we might love you, that we might serve you and worship you in spirit and in truth all the days of our lives and for eternity. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.